Welcome to Something Came From Baltimore. Something Came From Baltimore is a jazz, blues, and R&B podcast and show, and it's not really about Baltimore. Today on this episode, we speak with a musician, Warren Wolf, and he explains to listeners why is it good. This episode, Warren Wolf has chosen the 1988 recording, Super Blue. Warren Wolf is a friend of the pod and show. He's a Baltimore native who is currently on the Mac Avenue label. And as a musician, he plays the vibraphone, marimba, drums, piano, percussion, and I can hear him singing. I've heard him sing. January 2022, Warren Wolf collected the best of the best of Baltimore jazz musicians and did a one night only of the album, track by track, from the 1988 Super Blue. Believe it or not, Super Blue is currently out of print, and it's really hard to find on music services. Uh, But that doesn't mean that it's not a good album. This is 1988, so think young guys here. Future musical stars in the jazz world. Don Stickler plays trumpet. Roy Hargrove plays trumpet and flugelhorn. Frank Lacey, trombone. Bobby Watson, alto sax. Bill Pierce, tenor sax. Mulgrew Miller, piano. Bob Hurst, bass, and Kenny Washington in drums. We review the eight songs from the album, including hits like Open Sesame, Summertime, and I Remember Clifford. We are also going to hear samples from the 1998 album, and and I have audio from that January 22nd, 2022 show where Warren Wolf and Friends, uh, they played at the Andy Music House in Baltimore. The Andy Music House is an amazing location. It's just like a second floor. Uh, it's like gutted out. It's like a house. It's a row home. And now it's a concert hall. It's just a great place to see a concert. The lineup for that show was Warren Wolf on piano, Clarence Ward III on trumpet, Russell Kirk on alto sax, Ted Baker on tenor sax, Reginald Sinjay on trombone, Blake Meister on bass, and the legendary drummer, Eric Kennedy. Now, let's get into the show. We do uh, some came from Baltimore. We also do like a show called Why Is It Good, where we have a musician uh, pull out an album that they love and mm-hmm. ex- explain to the audience why it's good, kind of go through either track by track or overall feelings about it. You pick Super Blue. So Super Blue is a 1988 album that's been out of print since 2013. There was a limited edition Japanese print, and it's been out for a while. So it's a little hard to get, but mm-hmm. it's a it's a personal album to you. It's one of your first like jazz albums, I guess, either you purchased. When I was in high school, this is the Baltimore School for the Arts. We had a number of people that was that was interested in, in joining the jazz band. Our teacher at the time, this guy named was David Stambler. Yeah, we had a full horn section going on. And, uh, you know, naturally you want to find, like, some parts for, you know, not so everybody wouldn't be playing unison together. So he pulled out these charts from this record, Super Blue. And, you know, at the time I was only 13 
or 14, 15, somewhere between 13 and 15 years old. This is between 1993 and 1995. You know, we were all just really starting to really dive heavy into into jazz. So he poured out these these charts. I remember the one that he poured out was this tune, uh, Open Sesame, that's on Super Blue. None of us knew what Open Sesame was. We just heard it. It was something fast, something exciting. It was something in minor. And we was like, all right, cool. This sounds great. And, um, you know, upon a little bit more research, eventually, as the years pass, come to find out that um, Freddie Hubbard played it, even though it's not his composition. It's composed by uh, the saxophonist Tina Brooks. But it's, it's a great tune. But it was it was just a lot of fun. So, you know, once we played those arrangements, of course, records were a lot easier to find back then. You know, I remember my mom taking me to the bookstore. I think it was Borders or something like that. Well, Barnes & Noble was one of the two. And I saw that record in there. I was like, ooh, I, that's the record with Super Blue. You know, let me let me check it out. And from there, I started listening to all the other t- tunes that were on that record, you know? Like these, you think these guys are old, old hat. They were all young. Uh, yeah. They were in their <laughs> early 20s. And they're all yeah. basically all legends now. You got Don Stickler on trumpet. Yep. Roy Hargrove on trumpet and flugelhorn. Frank Lacey mm-hmm. on trombone, Bobby Watson on alto sax, and uh, he does a lot of arrangements on here. Bill Pierce on tenor sax, Mulgrew Miller on piano, Bobby Hurst on bass, Kenny Washington on the drums. Um, the majority of these guys are still alive and kicking and, and still creating great music. And so you think, oh, these are old guys now, but they're not. They were young. They were like, like, oh. they're, they're like maybe early twenties doing this. And, um, I feel that that's kind of music that's not really would be in their wheelhouse at 1988. I would think they got together and this is a very tight unit. They put out, they recorded this all in one day, but mm-hmm. this, the style of it is, is to me, is this considered like hard bop or traditional or, or yeah, Latin? This, is, this is definitely a hard bop, uh, type recording. And again, this is, this is the, uh, is it 88 you said 1988 what, 89? 1988 we're talking about 35 years of sound okay. so yeah you know art blakey was still I, I don't think he had passed just yet but you know a lot of the the guys in the in the, the great days of, of jazz were still you know doing their things in the 80s and they were you know all of a sudden we started recruiting this these young lions this young surge of musicians who came up and you know art blakey was like one of the main ones who did that so I know Bill Pierce and Margaru and Bobby Watson all came through Bart uh, 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 Blakey's band. Uh, I'm not really sure about the histories too much of Kenny Washington and Bob Hurst, but I do know Kenny Washington on drums was one of those drummers who pretty much started like the, the new sound of the drums in the 80s. It came down like between Kenny Washington, Jeff Tane Watts, and um, uh, Marvin Smitty Smith. Margrew again, he was with Blakey, but Margrew also came from that band of Tony Williams, who was who was of Miles Davis fame. I know Don Sickler, he he arranged some of the music as well, along with Bobby Watson. But so how Roy Hargrove got involved? So Roy is from um from Dallas, Texas, and um he was like the the new young up and coming jazz trumpeter, you know, because it started with Wynton Marsalis in the eighties, 
And then Terrence Blanchard was very long after that. And there were a few other guys who came along, but then Rory was like this new young guy. So apparently, and this is coming from Don Sickler, who I talked to a few weeks be- uh, before I pre- presented this music, you know, a few weeks ago. I asked Don Sickler to tell me just a little bit about it. I could tell he was busy, but in short, he said, you know, um, the record was only supposed to be, you know, Don, as far as the horns, Don, Bobby, Bill Pierce, and Frank Lacey. But it was supposed to be only be four horns. And I think it's a Japanese recording or the, or Japanese producer, one of the two. But the Japanese, the Japanese people were, like, so excited about Rory Hargrove's plan that they said, and again, this is coming from Don Sickler, we want him on the record somehow. So between Don and Bobby, they all arranged, you know, to have two trumpeters. And I always thought that was weird, even when I was a teenager. I was like... I mean, outside of big band music, I was like, why is there two trumpeters in a, in a small group? But, you know, I, I've never knew the answer to that until just a few weeks ago. <laughs> uh, Wynton Marsalis found uh, Roy Hargrove, and Roy Hargrove back then was everything. Like, he was just the supernova and uh, waiting to explode, and he just continued. So just yeah. to have him on that, that album, you know, sold records. I'm guesstimating that there's something that's different about this album is that jazz kind of was in a weird stage in the late eighties. Like mm-hmm. there, people were, people were getting hit records, uh, the Kenny G's and the Najee. So there was people making money off of jazz and they weren't really sure what they were doing in the modulation of CDs and stuff. It was a little weird back then. Yeah. The, the Japanese, I think really are, were focused on high quality recordings at that time. And, and people refer to those producers and, and those recordings as like really hot because they kind of stayed in the traditional vein. Uh, right. That's a whole big generalization. But in other words, what I'm saying is that the late eighties was a confusing time for jazz. Some of the stuff was not that good. And mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people went to the Japanese labels and said, wow, okay, there's some hot stuff over here. I can kind of relate to that. You know I mean? Just to move ahead, speaking just about myself, my very first tour was with Margaret Miller. And this is year uh, 2000. Two or 2003, we did a two-week tour of Japan. It was my first tour ever. And when I went over there, I met some Japanese folks that Mogu introduced me to. And out of that came my first record. My first record is a Japanese uh, import, you know. So, yeah, they, they always seem to seem to come up with some, you know, some cool, cool things, some cool ideas. So what you did was really cool is that this is, this is a heartfelt album of yours. You love it. You took some uh, friends locally and you brought them in for a day and uh, went through the uh, January 22nd, 2022. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a cold, I think it was like 13 degrees outside with a wind. You, you had yourself and Clarence Ward III, Ted Baker, uh, Russell um, Kirk, yep. Eric Kennedy, and uh, Blake Meister. But we'll just go through each track, if you remember them, and what, what they meant for you. I, I took some notes on you know, what I thought of them. on the very first Freddie Hubbard album mm-hmm. and and uh, he used it over and over because it's a it's a shotgun song it starts out and it hits you in the face uh, with, with some major sounds and uh, it's a really good song has uh, um, some Latin overtones to it which was pretty original at the time mm-hmm. and um, it had a weird like I was like oh it's like Doc Severinsen Maynard Ferguson vibe 
And I said, is this hard bop or what is, what is that? What is going on here? So this song is definitely hard bop. It starts off with the, uh, uh, the, the entire horns just doing like it's a four chord passage. And then they lay out and the, then the piano come right in playing the same four chords. And then the melody jumps in. The melody jumps in. It's uh, split between, I believe, tenor and trumpet. It could be alto and trumpet. Not really sure which one. And then eventually, once they play it the first time around, they start to add some little horn sections to it, uh, you know, in harmony and things like that. And and then once they finish the melody up, you know, like I said, we go straight into Bill Pierce on tenor saxophone. Uh, he believes, I believe he takes a few choruses, uh, followed with some, um, on his second chorus, they do some some horn hits along with the drums. And then right after that, I, I vividly recalled it. So I used to listen to this record so much. Frank Lacey jumps in with a great trombone solo. at least for me at that point in time where I would hear a trombonist play like that. I, I was not used to hearing trombone players play like that. I, back then, I, I remember I used to check out um, this trombonist who used to play for, um, uh, uh, was it Count Basie? Yeah, Count Basie's, no. Uh, yeah, Count Basie's band. His name was Vic Dickinson. And uh, I, I mean, he was a great trombonist, but I'd never heard anybody play like how, the way uh, Frank Lacey played. And he came in and took two wonderful solos, um, and then we finished it off with a uh, Mulgrew on the piano solo. After that, one of the th- cool things I remember about playing this tune in high school, again, they take the melody out. And when it gets to the, the, the B section, the bridge of the song, you know, they play the melody, but then there's this fast line that's going back and forth between trumpet and the second trumpet and alto saxophone that they play over top of the melody. And I thought it was really cool uh, to hear that. So, um... From there, you know, they take it back out and that would be the end of it. Yeah, what's what's great about this whole album is that they each solo services the song. They're not really indulgent. They stay within the parameters of the song, but at the same time, mm-hmm. They're original. Like the next song, Summertime, yeah. is obviously a Gershwin song. It's mm-hmm. played to death forever. All, all of the solos on, on there and the, the changing of the tempo, the arrangement is yeah. really hot. Like you almost forget it's summertime halfway through the, the song. And then I was like, is this swing? Is this, would this be labeled as a swing song? Like swing. It's definitely swing. It just, it has some broken up feelings. Hold on. Uh, I feel really good that I just said that because I was oh, like, because yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what I, you know, like the thing is I'm a fan. So it's definitely swing because the whole song starts off with, uh, if I remember correctly, like just the horns by itself.
and playing the melody, and then the band comes in, and they the trio uh, between bass, drums, and uh, and the piano they play like a Elvin Jones Jones's type feel, like something that he would have played with John Coltrane back in the day. And then once the melody comes in, they just start swinging really hard. So you're right, yeah, they're just swinging right through it at that tempo. But a lot of people like to call it they call it tipping. It's just right in the pocket. Ding, ding. And I think that was simple. It, it just come right in, you know, just making it feel good. So I was keying on the bass, uh, the bass yeah. solo is towards the end, breaks everything down and builds everything back up again. Marvelous Mart, which is a Marty Scheller song, mm-hmm. um, and it sounds like I've, he, it has that lat vibe to it. Yep. And, and if and this whole album has like a small wave of, of Latin influence through the whole thing, definitely Latin. Got some great solos. Still have some elements of swing in there. I think the one thing about that this tune that I really like, they stick. I mean, the song is in a straight ahead. It's, a, it's in a four-four time signature, but then at the top of the form of every song, every when the third bar comes around, they go to a different time signature. They go to a measure of three and then back to four, swinging it out. Um, again, Frank Lacey takes a great solo on this one from what I, my memory. I can't remember, remember who else. I want to say there's a trumpet player and then there's piano again. But it's a great tune. Now let's listen to Warren Wolf and Friends Live. It's Marvelous Martin. I said uh, this song jumps off quickly too. Yeah, it's a it's a like a minor minorist tune. Bobby Watson takes a great solo on this, and I remember. I, I said first solo, crazy sax solo. <laughs> yeah, that's, I think that's Bobby Watson. You know, <laughs> he, he's such a legend, legend, and uh, you know this this tune is just made to just go for it. You know, it's just something that has a lot of fire for it, and you just 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 shoot off, just go. Are high charged, high power. There's no rest. You're like, wait a minute, this whole album doesn't give you a chance to breathe. So that's side one of that album. Yeah. When you go to when you go to side two, you have I remember Clifford, which is a a Benny Golson song. I think Roy took the the lead on that song. Roy Hargrove, beautiful ballad. I think from what Don said, they just kind of made made those. Actually, Bobby Watson told me that 
when it came to the arrangement of this, they just kind of came up with something very quickly to sound good in the studio. But um, great tune for a trumpet player to play. I think all trumpet players should know this tune. I think Roy did a great job, you know, just just doing doing what he does best, just being Roy. <laughs> this next one is by uh, Benny Golson. This will feature Clarence Ward on trumpet or flugelhorn. This is titled, I Remember Clifford. Conversation is I put in here is a wall of, of horns. Uh, this has a really big uh, swing, big band vibe because of the the power of mm-hmm. of, of that band. Um, I love the great sax solo, and it seems like there's one solo and then another solo of, of uh, a, a, another sax solo side by side, or is it yeah. like okay? So, and that's my favorite song on the album. Watson, this is like uh, it seems like it's a fresh song for the. I couldn't find anything before it, so uh-huh. it seems like he came to the table with this song. It's Actually, you know popular. what? I remember, I remember the name. It's a Woody Shaw tune called Moon Train. If you take away the hits of this tune, again, it's not the same hits like on on uh on this tune, Conservation. You hear ba 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 ba. Uh, Moon Train is more ba uh, ba. So it's kind of altering, alterating, uh, you know, rhythms going on. 
his wife wrote the next song, uh, Bobby Watson's wife. Yeah. And how long were they together? Were they are they still together? Like what is They're it? still together. Pam Watson, she's she's a wonderful composer. They're both living out in uh Kansas City. Bobby Watson just retired from uh uh University of Kansas uh after teaching there for almost twenty something years. Um beautiful tune. One of my favorites. I love because it's like a straight A like Latin feel almost. Um Rory actually recorded this tune with his uh quintet on a record called uh Tenors of Our Time. Um uh, but it's a beautiful tune. It you know, just nice major key. The uh the B section goes, you know, to a, a different side of, of, of the composer with the uh the trombone doubling the bass line of some parts. But just a nice, really just chill chill song, at least how I like to think of it. You can imagine it, it, kind of dancing to it. It's like so like a Latin like Boston uh, Boston more Boston over yeah is written by Hank Mobley. Hank Mobley replaced uh, Coltrane on with a with Miles Davis, performed on uh, some someday my prince will come, had lung mm-hmm. cancer, died in the eighties, had a heroin problem. Big one. Wow. And, yeah. And uh this album this song has like a wall of sound. Mm-hmm. And and the, this is the only song in my mind, like this is my note. It only ends with a Ta-da! At the end, you know, it's like everything else is like it's a hard end and it's bang. back at this you were able to sit there and rearrange it take a look at all the the notes of this song there, yeah, hold it i want to just get this on tape there is a super blue two that came yeah. out yeah uh, mm-hmm. the next year and it had sickler watch they did put another one that's out of print too the, no, I, stop- I've, never, I've never heard that record i was always just been a fan of the first one because that, that, that it's just like the combination for me for those five players up front with the horns was just something else so no disrespect to Robin and, and, and Wallace because they are great players too, but I was, I was just more into the first one. Yeah. I think the album cover is terrible. I think it's a really terrible album cover. What is I, that? I got to go check it out now. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's, it's just a, 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 a fuzzy cool in the gang side vision of, you know, live stage and it really doesn't show the faces properly and it doesn't, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's just a really poor representation of what the music is. Got you. Uh, you. Yeah, I'm really disappointed with it. So here we go. So now you took a look at it and you kind of dissected it. You had a 
uh, a band play it just recently. Mm-hmm. What's your overall thoughts? Did you feel that it stands the test of time? Our performance or the record or the original? Uh, <laughs> well, uh, all right. Well, let's back up. How did you feel when you performed it? Like you, you actually, are, you played the piano. Yeah. And, and I don't know if that was your intention initially. It was because I wanted to just actually just give, give some other guys a chance to play in more of an ensemble setting. So it was definitely my intention to play piano. I did not want to play vibes on this. Um, but the record itself, like the original record, I believe if it came back into print, you know, I, I believe a lot of kids will, or just younger people or fans of jazz will really dig the record. There's so many records that are out of print and, you know, that are great. And I wish, you know, people just had more of an opportunity to hear this, this stuff. There's a huge disconnect right now between the, the younger generation and even, you know, a lot of music, um, in the eighties and nineties. That stuff is just hard to find. It's, it's easier to find a lot of music in the, in the fifties and sixties than it is to find the eighties and nineties right now. And there's a lot of gr- great music. I mean, there's some of it's not that great, but some of it is, you know, really good. Um, it's and, because you know, the labels changed, you know, like Blue Note is still here, you know, yeah, Verve yeah. is still here, whatever. And they're, they're mining their back catalog with their artists and, and, uh, you know, you can always, you, you can find every single miles out and, yeah. unless something pops up. But, you know, there, some of the smaller stuff and the smaller labels, they're just not, they never yeah. sold that well. They weren't, they just kind of vanished. Definitely. You're right. There's a seventies is kind of well represented in the eighties, nineties. There's kind of a blur there as yeah. to what the, what the kids can, can grow and learn from. Which is weird because, you know, I feel like the nineties is like, at least for me, that's when I grew up in it was, was really happening. You could find like almost everything. Um, I mean, records were just coming out every single week. I remember when I went to college, which is uh, Berkeley College of Music in 97, every Tuesday, something new was coming out. And we were always, me and my friends would always go to Tower Records and I'm like, hey, what's this? What's this? You know, and, you know, I just talk to a lot of students now, you know, just when I'm in teaching at Peabody and my other school, San Francisco Conservatory, a lot of students are just like, yeah, I don't know about this one. And which is totally fine. You know, it's a lot, of, a lot of music out here. You're not supposed to know everything. But so it's up to me and my colleagues, you know, we all, you know, take time out and be like, hey, let's check this out. You know, let's check out what some of these favorite artists, what, you, what you're hearing today. Let's hear where they came from, you know, mm-hmm. way back. Because everybody just grows. So your final thoughts on this album, why is it good? It's good because of number one, the, the legends that you see on the record. That's number one. When When you see all those people come together and make some music, and they sound tight and crisp in the horn section. That's number two. And you know, the range, range, I won't say they're fresh, but they're just, they're just well arranged. Um, three, everybody is playing, playing great. Uh, four, you get to hear like some of these guys who, who were like young stars at the time or young up, upcoming stars. And you see where they came from and see how they sounded. And you get to hear their development and how they sound from 1988 to here we are in 2022, you know, just, just going forward. So it's good to hear those tunes. Uh, I think people might go back to it, you know, maybe check out, check out this record and, you know, be inspired to write, you know, even, you know, newer, newer uh, arrangements for, for standards or, or even some of these tunes, you know, just in their own way, just to hear it. So I just think it's a great record. It's nice and it's swinging something that you really don't hear a lot in today's jazz. That's just, you know, a lot of people are more focused on uh, 
groove oriented music, which is fine, you know, but it's not often that you just hear somebody who just comes out and just like, we just are, right, we go, we're going to swing this entire 60 minutes on the record. So. All right. So Warren Wolf, thank you very much for playing this. Uh, why is it good game? I love doing these because uh, um, I learned so much and the, the feedback from the people that listen to these, they get all excited all over again on these albums. Mm-hmm. So it, it's great that we can uh, bring something back up again and let people take a listen to it. So I like that. So I really appreciate your, your help with me today and, and uh, being the interview for uh, something came from Baltimore. Oh, it's no problem, man. Thank you for having me. We're going to play one more for you guys. Uh, this is by wonderful tenor saxophonist, Tina Brooks. Um, name of this tune is titled Open Sesame. This is not cool in the gang, Open Sesame, but just Open Sesame. Uh, Freddie Hubbard plays this tune very often. And on this one, we're going to just go ahead and feature the entire band. And uh, again, thank you guys for coming out so much. And um, yeah, that's it. Thank you. Thank you guys so much one more time. Clarence Ward, Thousand, Russell, Ted, Reginald, Eric, Blake. My name is Warren Wolf. Everybody get home safe. Thank you so much. Good night. I hope you enjoyed listening to today's show, and we thank Warren Wolf for his time and his ability to tell us why is it good. It's super blue. And now you're excited to listen to this album. It's out of print. Um, you can hear a couple tracks on YouTube. It's hard to find online, and you can always find it as a used CD somewhere. But if you want to hear the uh, January 22nd, 22 concert at the Andy Music, it's only $10. I have that link in the show notes. You can hear Warren Wolf and Friends do their one-time only show of Super Blue. The show is over. Have a great day.